welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in industry and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is Biz Buzz with Game Changers, and this is our 13th episode in a 13-week series, so we're going to end with a bang. We have a great topic today. It's supply chain. I know you're all dying to know what is state-of-the-art, what are the people who are at the top of this intelligence chain saying about it, what does it look like today, what can you do to make it better, and what's it going to look like in the future, so let's get the party started. Companies doing business globally today require full supply chain transparency as well as optimized performance management in order to become and remain competitive and, the big P word, profitable. I have a couple of questions. Can the latest technology innovations help them get the speed they need to keep up with today's pace of business, which is going whoosh, whooshing along very, very fast? Can it help them integrate a disconnected supply chain? Ouch. Can it help them eliminate? Eliminate the siloed functions in their company to put it all back together and integrate it properly and other key factors to help them grow the bottom line because that's what it's all about. I have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure this out in great style. Leading off the panel today, I'm pleased to introduce Simon Ellis. He leads the supply chain strategy practice at Manufacturing Insights, which is one of IDC's industry research companies. And Simon sent me the following quote. In the modern, quote-unquote, modern supply chain, integration is now more important than functionality. Well, Simon Ellis, how are you today? I'm very good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. So tell me, what is this all about, modern supply chain? When you use the word modern and you put it in quotes, Simon, what time frame are we referencing? Let's take your quote apart and do a little bit at a time. Modern when? Yeah, well, well, I mean, that's, that's why I put it in quotes, because, because modern, of course, is, 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 is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's, it's kind of when you are. So, you know, what we might have viewed as sort of a modern supply chain five years ago, you know, may not be antiquated today, but it certainly may no longer be cutting edge. And so this, this notion of kind of the modern supply chain is, is, is really a journey more than it is an end point. And so I always put it in quotes like that, because it's really a matter of, you know when you're talking about it, and and uh, and, and what the things uh, really are at that point that are cutting edge, that are kind of new capabilities. So it's a it's a very dynamic view of supply chain, I think. It's a moving target. So are, yeah. does it change? When you talk about modern, are we talking about right this very second in time, Simon Ellis? Are we talking about the past two years, the oncoming two years ahead? What, what, how can you give us a start and an end to modern at this moment in time? Is it yeah. is it the yeah. next ten minutes? <laughs> well, it probably isn't the next 10 minutes, right? So when we think about, you know, kind of a clock speed of supply chains, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's 10 minutes if you're talking about a consumer buying an item off a retail shelf and needing to replenish. But in the main, it's not. In the, in the main, we're talking about kind of new technologies may be acquired over the course of weeks and months or even years. Um, so so it's, it's I, you know, I hate, frankly, to constrain it by putting a beginning point and an end point on it. Okay. Um, you know, probably the, 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 the gentleman who first invented the wheel, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> perhaps that supply chain wasn't a modern supply chain, or you might have thought so at the time. 
um, I think the reality is that, that it's, a, it's a continuum. It's a journey. And, and so where, wherever you may happen to be at any point on that, on that continuum, in this case, you know, March 2014, um, you know, where we've been and where we're going, um, you know, may be quite, uh, quite different. So whether it's about, uh, the, you know, we, we, we hear all of the things, right? IDC talks about the third platform, um, whether it's using mobility or using big data. I mean, these are all very, very sort of uh, commercialized terms. I understand that, but mm-hmm. but they have they have uh, they have a notion to them. They have uh, they have some substance to them. Whether it's about you know integrating capabilities across the supply chain so you can be faster. I mean, I I talked um, you and I talked about it the other day about mm-hmm. um, you know speed is the new cost, right? So that's right. Not that supply chain organizations aren't still focused on cost. Of course they are. Of course they need to be profitable. They need to be. They need to to eliminate waste. But at the end of the day, when we talked to supply chains in 2014, you know, for many of them, for most of them, it's about how do I how do I get faster? How how do I get more agile? How do I get more responsive so that I can deliver my obligations while, whilst kind of maintaining you know a reasonable cost? So. Um, that, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been known to say that as well, and I usually do on the radio. So I think we've covered the modern part, and we've covered the integration is now more important than functionality. So would you say integration, briefly, Simon, integration is the key to speed, which you're saying is a new cost? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think I think we're all we all like to make sort of provocative comments, right? And we all like to view mm-hmm. things kind of in black and white terms, and 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 so so clearly functionality, depending upon what you're talking about, is critically important, right? If a if a if a if a if a software application, if a piece of software from SAP, you know, doesn't meet the the the, the required functionality, it's not going to be effective, but. Given that for so many things that functionality is almost well, I don't want to say it's table stakes, but it's almost kind of kind of to the point. I mean, you get most SAP tools is they they have deep functionality. So I think for a lot of manufacturers, when they look at these kinds of IT capabilities, when they look at business processes, it's mm-hmm. it's the functionality is almost you know taken for granted. Perhaps not quite the right term, but it's it's accepted that it's going to be there. And so the the sort of the differentiator increasingly becomes. You know, how quickly can I implement it? How well does my, you know, extended warehouse management tool talk to my transportation tool? How well does SNOP allow me to um, view business planning from a kind of start to stop, from, you know, supply mm-hmm. at the front end all the way to demand at the back end? So tying these things together, because you know what, if they're not, in the, if they're not tied together, I don't care how good you are or how clever you are, you're not going to be fast, right? You're going to be, you're going right. to be, you're going to be, um, you're going to be slowed by um, that kind of information latency and that collaborative latency. And so that, I think, is, is why, for me, this kind of provocative notion that integration is now more important than functionality is a fun, is fun comment because functionality is important, but for so many companies, that the sort of the, where they aren't very good is in, kind of, is in kind of integrating all these things together within their supply chains. Great starting point to our conversation. Thank you, Simon Ellis. And I'm going to invite our second panelist to join the conversation, Todd R. Smith. He told me I can drop the R after I introduce him. He's a director in PWC's SAP Applications Group, and I have this quote from Todd Smith. He says, optimization of the whole may mean sub-optimization of the parts. Not every area and function needs to be the, here come the quotes again, leading practice. Know where you differentiate, focus on the 
the meaningful. Todd Smith, welcome to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you today? Well, thank you for joining me. Now, let's talk about this. Let's start. Let's dissect this a little bit. Optimization of the whole may mean sub-optimization of the parts. You want to dissect that and explain that to me in plain English, please? Well, a lot of times when you look at, you know, and kind of going back to what Simon was indicating of, you know, trying to optimize the entire supply chain, you know, front to back, top to bottom, inside to outside, and, and you know, outside to in, sometimes that's a lot to try to tackle. And so when you try to optimize your end-to-end supply chain, there may be specific mm-hmm. steps or functions in there that wind up with extra steps, extra functionality, more work than what they're doing today. And so in order to get an overall effective supply chain end-to-end, there may be additional data, additional functions, additional steps required at certain parts or pieces or functions in the supply chain. And so obviously that adds additional work, additional effort, um, in some cases additional time, but that may be still allow you to get to market faster, get to your customer faster, um, going back to the speed uh, idea that Simon was mentioning, mm-hmm. that getting to market, getting the product out um, is the key optimum lever. Todd, could we we uh, compress this and use the word prioritize where you need to optimize, look at that piece and don't worry about everything being done at the same time? In other words, focus on what the priorities that's going to get you to your goal faster. Is that what we're talking about? Um, a little bit yes and a little bit no. I mean, obviously, kind of the second part of this of, of focus on where you differentiate and what the meaningful items are, that to me is mm-hmm. the prioritization. Okay. Um, but even if you want to, uh, say, have an overall goal of getting, you know, uh, cycle time from uh, creation of order to delivery of order and you want that, you know, uh, order fulfillment cycle time to be reduced, as you look at the 5, 10, 12 steps that are required to fulfill that order, there may be certain areas where, you're adding additional labor, adding additional costs, adding different things in order to do that. So that step in and of itself might be sub-optimized. You're not necessarily reducing costs mm-hmm. or reducing overhead, things like that. But when you look at that piece in conjunction with the whole supply chain, the end-to-end supply chain may work better. Thank you very much, Todd. Pleasure to have you on the panel. And let's round out the party and invite our third guest to speak. It's Richard Howells, Global Head of Marketing, Lines of Business at SAP. And he sent me a quote from Charles Darwin by way of a professor named Leon C. Meganson. Here is the quote. Many of you believe it came from Darwin, and we'll go with that for the show. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but rather the one most adaptable to change. I think that's what we're talking about Richard Howells, welcome to BizBuzz with Game Changers. How are you today, Richard? Fine, thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. So, talk to me. Great quote from Darwin. We'll just stick with that because the other guy's name is harder to pronounce. And why did you pick it and relate that to our topic, supply chain? Please, Richard, go ahead. Well, first of all, it wasn't because I'm the most intelligent because I didn't know that the topic was supply chain evolution when I picked the uh, picked the quote. <laughs> but I really think. Okay. That- but it works. It works. It does work. Yes. So I'd rather be I'd rather be lucky than smart. Um, so I, I think that the, the the quote really works for business today and and more specifically supply chains today because change is the only constant. Uh, to steal another quote and and we're seeing changes everywhere and we have to be able to adapt to the changes and respond to the changes across our businesses. 
Okay. And you want to relate this to what we've been talking about with Simon and Todd about, we're talking about prioritizing sub-optimization of the parts with Todd, and we talked about our topic today, which is speed is the new cost in the supply chain evolution. How would the one most adaptable to change win on these criteria? Richard? Well, first, of, first of all, with, with the clock speed comment that Simon made, obviously um, all of your competitors are already trying, also trying to change and adapt to, to the business realities and the first there, the quickest there, will will win. Uh, from a sub-optimization of, of the parts, I would say that um, I would tie that in again to one of Simon's comments around integration. It's very hard to uh, change your business processes and adapt your business processes if you can't integrate integrate the, the components together to, to define those processes. Okay. Thank you very much, Richard. And now I have a very tough question for my panel. I'm going to ask you all in turn, Simon, then Todd, then Richard. What's in your cup today? Because BizBuzz with Game Changers is part of our umbrella flagship show called Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm dying to know. What are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking? Simon, start me off. What are you, what's, right. what's in the so, cup? What's fueling yeah. you today? Yeah. So, so I'm going to answer the question quite literally. Um, but 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 preface it by saying that I hate coffee. Always have. Um, I don't believe that I've actually driven uh, that I've actually drunk a complete cup of coffee in my life. Um, wow. However, I am I am English born, and so uh, I'm a tea drinker. Um, however, but I'm a tea drinking snob, so I only I only um, drink tea if I have a choice. I only drink tea that comes from the UK, and, and I routinely order a pallet of PG Tips tea bags. Um, about once every six months from England, um, which is which is which is my preferred uh, brand of tea. That is what I drink when I have the choice, and that is what I have now. Now, Simon, what flavor are you drinking? And repeat the brand name again. I want to know what it is. Repeat it slowly. Uh, and what are you drinking? Uh, it's PG Tips. It's, PG uh, it's Tips. A very okay. very popular brand of tea in the UK. Uh, and, and no tea drinker worth their salt will drink anything other than regular tea. None of this flavored. Uh, can I use? I, I don't think I can use vernacular on the on this, so I won't. <laughs> I won't say what I usually tell people. But yeah, no. Uh, any of this lemon lift. Uh, um, yes, or, I know. Uh, or, or constant, you know, whatever it may be. This is not tea. It's it's. The uh, weird permutations. Is, uh, is a, purist. a black tea, uh, tea drinker, and that's, that's You're a purist, I, I can tell. Yeah. We appreciate yeah. that. And you don't have to love coffee to be on this show. Coffee drinking is not a requirement, Simon, so you're in good <laughs> well, company. Good. We had a, a guest from the U.K. about a year ago on one of our radio shows, one of our Game Changers shows, who gave instructions, precise, exacting, demanding instructions on how thick the teacup should be, what kind of China, what the edge of the oh, lip should be like, oh, and oh, and yeah. the temperature of the water. And he oh, gave us, absolutely. he said, if you're making tea, you have to do it right. It was a charming recipe for good tea. So thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I, have, I have on many occasions made the comment that no American can actually make a decent cup of, cup of tea. It's, 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 he said the same thing. Culturally he, darn it. So he said the same well thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Todd R. Smith at PwC, what are you drinking today? You don't have to top that one. Just tell me, tell me the truth. What's, what's in your cup, Todd? Well, would it be bad to say that I'm drinking Arizona tea at this point? Um, <laughs> Whatever you like, okay. my dear. You're, you're, you're an American. So it's okay. <laughs> no, actually, Dealer's I'm, choice. I'm, I'm enjoying my, my lovely non-fat mocha with a good shot of uh, chocolate in there for a little bit of sugar in the morning. 
Ooh, I like that. Is that a, is there a brand to that, or is that homemade, or how how did you get that? Um, it all depends on where I'm traveling and what the local coffee shop is, whether that be a Starbucks or a Pete's or uh, whatever's close by. But and have what have you got that, today? Well, the best one I've ever had was actually one that was infused with Mexican chocolate, which was a homemade Ooh. one with a little bit of spice in it, and had that little bit of pepper. So. Oh, I like that. Pepper and chocolate go very well. Thank you, Todd. And Richard Howells, what's in your cup today? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm British as well, and my wife is American, and she drinks PG tips as well. So she's, That's she's, been, she's been converted. <laughs> she's a convert, yes. Yes, but I, I am a big uh, 10 cup a day coffee drinker. Uh, I, I am down from 20, I'm pleased to say. Wow. And are they all what I call high test, fully loaded, or, or uh, do you I, bother to switch to decaf at some no, point? No, no, I'm fully wired. Um, I, I actually got an espresso machine for Christmas because I, I wanted to uh, reduce my intake, and the individual cups is a great way of doing that because it's more effort to make an individual cup than a pot. So That's true. Pot anymore. I'm picking up my, uh, what am I getting, a, um, a Keurig Mini. I just ordered it in red to go with my newly redesigned kitchen. I'm picking it up from Macy's tomorrow, so I'll let you know what I think of all of that. By the way, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on show days. Woohoo! I want to thank my panelists for a great opening segment. We're off to a great start. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. My panel today is Simon Ellis at IDC. Todd R. Smith, yeah, we'll keep the Todd R. I like that at PwC and Richard Howells at SAP. Our topic today is supply chain evolution. Speed is the new cost. If you're not sure what that means, you better stick around because this could be do or die for your manufacturing business. We'll have a lot more when we come back with the roundtable. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Tom Flanagan, thanks for tweeting. He's capturing all of your words of wisdom, my panelists' words of wisdom, at hashtag SAP Radio. So come on Twitter and join the party. I'm Bonnie D. Graham will be right back. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Business models have a short shelf life. Today's reality, given shifting technologies, real-time information, and collaboration across time zones, competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud. The bottom line? Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. 
There we go. Welcome back. I know we're going to kick off this 30-minute nonstop, put your seatbelt on, no holds barred. Boy, no pressure on my guest for that one. Roundtable segment, we're going to kick it off with Simon Ellis at IDC. Simon, uh, you sent me a provocative talking point before the show. We've talked about this, and I think this will be a good place to get this started. You say speed necessitates integration. You talk about all the things that have to happen in that integration, but most important functions, processes, and applications must be integrated and aligned to meet new speed obligations in terms of supply chain or delivery obligations. Let's talk about those obligations. And please level set for our listeners, Simon Ellis. What kind of manufacturing are we talking about? Or is it everybody, everywhere, any size, newbie, established, behemoth, giant? Uh, who are we talking to? And what kind of integration is required at what level of the maturity of the business? Let's yeah. go with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Avani, I, I think that, that so, so my instinctive reaction to that is to say that, that we're talking about all manufacturers of all sizes, mm-hmm. uh, of all levels of sophistication. I mean, I, I, worked, uh, I worked for many, many years for, for Unilever um, before I joined IDC and, and spent a lot of time working with Walmart, who, who, who we've hopefully all heard of. Um, and I, I always remember somebody from Walmart saying to me, you know, we hold our smallest suppliers, so a supplier at Walmart is, is a manufacturer, right? So Walmart said to me, we hold our smallest suppliers to the same standards as we hold Unilever or Procter & Gamble. So hmm. I think to, to assume somehow that smallness or um, newness necessarily means less sophistication or less obligations, I think, mm-hmm. I think, is, I think is flawed. I think it doesn't. I think um, now there's clearly different levels of resources available to small companies versus large companies, and so that tends to drive um, the prioritization process, perhaps a bit more extremely with smaller companies than it does with larger ones. But you know, I, I don't, I don't tend to worry all that much about um, you know which industry, which manufacturer, which size. I, I okay. tend to, I tend to view these supply chain challenges as being universal. Um, and, and, and areas where just about every company can draw some inspiration and can draw some, some insight. Simon, but if we look at a small company that's just getting going, isn't it easier for them to start out with great integration from the get-go rather than having to undo the, the um, shall we say, the mistakes of, of being legacy or having to undo bad habits, if you will? Isn't it easier to, to say, this is great advice if somebody's listening today. Sure. I'm, I'm a new manufacturer. I'm lean. I'm mean. I'm efficient. I'm a lean, mean fighting machine. And this is going to help me integrate and stay integrated. Isn't that, that true that a small smaller company would have a better chance of keeping on target with integration and speed from the start? Uh, I, I, I would suggest that, that there is that opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't know yes. that, I don't know that that opportunity is always uh, fully leveraged, but no, I mean, you're right. I mean, I mean if you... Um, you know, if you are, uh, I mean, it's it's the sort of the classic innovator's dilemma again, right? So if you're mm-hmm. an old business, you've been around for, you know, 100 years and, and you have, you know, you have 100 years worth of, of, of culture and waste and, and, and infrastructure yes. and all this sort of stuff. Sure. I mean, it, it, it can be. It can be a daunting task to kind of reinvent yourself, um, which is at the core of the, of the innovator's dilemma, right? So right. whereas if you're a small business, you're a new business, I mean, I think uh, these days we tend to think of the new ways of doing things as kind of uh, uh, creative and inspirational, and, 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 and we use them a lot as examples. Um, uh, and because I think they're exactly what you say, is they're companies who kind of were born in the information age, you know, got a, mm-hmm. you know, had the opportunity 
you know, to see, to see hopefully, uh, all the mistakes that other companies have made and, and, and not make them. It, it's that classic comment, right, you know, about... about or a try. Uh, Right about you know sort of uh, <laughs> if you don't understand your past mistakes, doomed to repeat them or or some some very so, some something like that. I want yeah. to bring in Todd Smith and Richard House to comment on this in terms of the applicability of our conversation to different sizes and sophistication and maturity of companies and is in fact integration the key to speed. Uh, Todd Smith, talk to me. Well, I have to agree that I think every supply chain company or any company that has a supply chain can definitely benefit from integration. Um, I would challenge a little bit that is it the same to every company in every market? Uh, probably not. Um, I think it depends on you know the area you service, the area you focus, where your product or service fits. And specifically, obviously, you know when you look at what's going on in the market today, and I'll start on the consumer side, most of the consumers are looking for very fast, you know, turnaround time. I want to be able to place my order and have an immediate delivery. And whether that be, you know, I'm going to a brick and mortar store and picking it up, or whether that be that it's delivered to me within an hour. Mm-hmm. I think on the consumer side, that drives a lot more speed, which obviously yes. drives a lot more integration. I think when you look on, you know, some of the upstream manufacturing companies where you get up all the way up into, you know, chemicals and things like that that might feed a plastics, um, you know, uh, supplier, those are probably a little less adaptive because they're a little bit further removed from the end market. And so although I think everybody can benefit from innovation and integration, um, I think where you're going to see the big focus are really the, the market-facing companies. Okay, and Richard Howells, chime in, please, before we move the needle to another topic. Go ahead, Richard. Absolutely. I mean, as a consumer, I mean, I don't care when I'm buying something, what size the company is from. I expect it now. I expect the best quality, and I expect it shipped at the right price and and, and quality. So it, it really doesn't matter to me as a consumer. So you have to have the processes in place, regardless of the size of company, to be able to satisfy that demand. I also Thank think yep. what's common around the... the uh, the, the, always, the millennial generation is really what we're talking about here. They're always on, they're always connected, and they want it now. And uh, that's the, the customers of the future that, that, that everyone is targeting. Exactly, and this is where I wanted to go with the conversation. I'm looking at a, a talking point from Todd Smith at PwC sent me before the show, and you say the market is now moving to on-demand and personalized products and services. Traditional CDC, RDC models, I don't know what that is. I want you to tell me, struggle to adapt. So if the market's moving to personalization and you require what I called for small companies, a lean, mean, fighting machine, integrated, tight, specific, let's get it done, Will only those smaller companies be able to deal with the demand for personalization? Todd, why don't you start this part of our conversation, please? Well, I, I think, you know, as Richard indicated, you know, there is a push, especially with the millennials of, you know, I want it now. I mean, recently you've seen both Google and Amazon starting to adopt, you know, local deliveries, one-hour, two-hour deliveries on products that they're providing. By contrast, if you look at a traditional supply chain, you typically have a central distribution center that might feed out to a regional distribution center that might then feed to a store. And all of that requires clock cycles in order to move the goods, in order to plan for the goods, to set up the transportation, and how things move through the the, the overall supply chain. What we're starting to see now are companies are starting to move towards micro-distribution centers that actually can be more local, smaller inventory, that can then provide that shorter delivery window, but that starts having implications to the overall supply chain because how do I, 
you know, plan for, you know, 100 micro centers versus maybe 50, you know, regional centers, maybe one in each state. I'm using that as a simple example. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is, is the personalization. If people want, you know, their name etched on it, if people want, you know, a particular color or maybe they want it, you know, packaged a certain way, now you're starting to look at postponement strategies of how you actually package the product, and that's going to drive a different functionality versus what you may be doing today in a central distribution center or even a regional center. Interesting. And and Richard Howells made a point of saying leading companies today are transforming their supply chains to demand networks, which is, I believe, where we've been going in this conversation. So, Richard, why don't you talk to that? You put demand networks in capitals. Is that what they're calling them? Is that the new name for supply chain? Talk to me, I, Richard I Howells. I see that as the way that supply chains will evolve into demand networks because it's, it's all about the customer. It's putting the customer at the center of all your processes and then driving those processes based on actual demand and capturing that actual demand. I'd like to go back, though, to one thing that, that Todd mentioned, because I think that it's important for the big companies to act like small ones as well. Ah. We're, seeing, we're, we're seeing a lot of, of innovative processes where, for example, logistics providers are providing uh, finished-to-order finished, finished, finished to order services to the larger companies so you can customize their products. And it really is responding to that demand network, responding to the demand and reacting in that final mile, that last mile, to customize the solution based on actual demand. It's also, but it's okay. also not just responding to the demand, it's having the tools in place to, to, to view both structured and unstructured data to be able to shape demand, to take into account social media, sentiment analysis, market research, to actually uh, adapt to and drive demand across the network. Good points, Richard, and I want to turn to one of your talking points before the show, and and that's exactly where you've already taken us, so let me just make this statement, and then I'll have you lead, and we'll have Simon, and we'll ask Simon and Todd to chime in. You say one of the biggest issues for supply chain professionals is to get the information they need to make the right decision, so I'm going to ask you to divide that into two parts. Who are the supply chain professionals? Are we talking about somebody sitting up in the ivory tower, the C-suite, looking down on the manufacturing floor and saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, we got to do this better? Is this somebody who is a, uh, a shop floor manager? Who is today's supply chain professional? Let's start with that, Richard. What do you, you think? To your question, it's yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> it's, it's oh, gee. It's everybody involved with servicing that customer. I, I'm, I mean, you can start the supply chain at the person taking the order at, at, the, at the service desk. But you, but you really, and you need different information for different people. I mean, I think we're mm-hmm. in a situation, to paraphrase another quote, we've got data, data everywhere, but not a decision to be made. Because there's no shortage of information, but it's putting that business, that business data, that supply chain information in the right context so that the executive can see it at a higher level, the person at the plant floor can see it at the level that they want, and the person at the shipping dock can see it at the level that they need. They're usually looking at the same data, but at different levels of granularity. Interesting. Do we have a, a job description for somebody called an SCP, a supply chain professional? I'm, I'm not being facetious. No, no but I, don't, if... I don't think we do. I, I, I think everyone involved in, in, in the supply chain, are, I'm, 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 I was making a broader term for supply chain professionals, mm-hmm. everyone involved in the supply chain. No, I appreciate that and point well taken. Simon Ellis, why don't you chime in on this? What do you think? Agree, disagree? What are you, um, what are you seeing? Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, it's not limited to supply chain either, right? I mean, I think you know everybody in the business of manufacturing or the business of retail is is you know is faced with you know enormous amount enormous amounts of data um, 
And, you know, I talk in my research a lot about, you know, eyeballs in the supply chain, right? There are less and less people in supply chains to look at things, right? I mean, cost reductions, headcount reductions, whatever it may be. And so you have more data, less people to look at it. And, and, and yet the expectation is that, that, uh, that, that you, you know, you will extract value where and when it is and, and you know, make decisions based on that value. I mean, I've, I've worked with consumer goods companies for many, many years, and, and one, one um, chief marketing officer noted to me, he said, you know, we've had, you know, X number of product recalls over the last 10 years, uh, all but one of which we had the information somewhere in the business that there was a problem. We just didn't know it at the right time and, 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 and at the right place. And so, you know, we ended up having to recall a product that, frankly, we should not have put into the market in the first place. So mm. this notion of data, data visibility, the ability to turn you know, sort of massive amounts of data, you know, 95% of which is, is, is you know, is, is, is ultimately non-useful. But how you get to that 5% and how you turn that into better decisions, I think, is the trick. Um, so, no, I, I, I agree. I agree with Richard. And, and, you know, the supply chain professional, I mean, it, you know, it could be somebody within your own business. It could be a contract. It could be a partner, right? It could be a, somebody at a mm-hmm. third-party logistics provider. I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's funny in a way that we're talking again about, things like postponement, uh, I guess I'm going to give a little bit to the, to the earlier question, but mm-hmm. I think it's funny in a way that we're going back to talk about postponement. I mean, it's not new. I mean, companies have been, have been doing postponement for 30 years, but I think the market dynamics now are, are, are making it necessary to move to this. You know, we, <laughs> we joke here at IDC about, about, you know, sort of bad names for things. And so, you know, <laughs> is doing final assembly in a distribution center distrafaction or manubution <laughs> what's the what's the bad name that we can come up for it, um, come come up with for it but i think it's it's all about um, you know being able to respond more quickly to granular levels of detail of data excuse me that you know that may or may not have you know long lead times and so you know that that demand signal that you get that says i need uh, 50 purple ones instead of 50 blue ones you know, may not come until after the product is at the is at the warehouse. So you need that sort of you need that flexibility. You need that decision making capability, that data that data analysis capability, to to react when and where it's appropriate to react and react in the right way. And we know very well in the food chain of uh, retail today that it's the mass discounters who inherit those leftover stock that couldn't be sold or those mistakes and say, wow, we've got brand names at great discounts. Come on and get them, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll leave that one alone. Uh, I want to bring Todd Smith from PwC into this part of the conversation before we move to something else. So, Todd, any comments on what Richard and Simon have been talking about? Um, a, a few things, and, I, and I'm going to kind of stitch a few comments together. If I, if I go back to the basics uh, around speed, uh, a lot of companies are looking at how do I get product to market quicker, how do I satisfy customer demand quicker, tying back to ultimately speed, and as you noted at the kickoff, Bonnie, it all comes back to the big P for profit. Mm-hmm. That's causing a domino effect, and specifically you're starting to see a lot of companies that are starting to back up and look at their supply chain strategy. You know, a lot of companies went to offshore manufacturing to reduce costs. Well, now because of the shift in speed, they're starting to go through and analyze what's the right shore for me to do manufacturing? What should I be doing in the U.S. versus potentially South America versus leaving in Asia? And it's a balance now of not just cost to be able to reduce my overall cost of manufacturing, but now the speed of how quickly I can get to market. And as they go through and look at that supply chain strategy and where should I write your manufacturing, tying it back to the big piece around 
a supply chain professional and making decisions. The other thing that, that I think is happening is those, that big data is out there. There's a lot of information. But also, in order to facilitate the speed and the new strategy, those decisions are getting pushed down in the organization. So instead of a, a supply chain executive, a vice president of manufacturing or a COO, waiting to see the weekly report or even the monthly report and then making a corrective action, those decisions are now being shortened also. And so you're needing someone on the line to actually identify a problem and be able to make a decision quicker. Um, and whether that be to you know, shift more blue to you know, market one versus less purple, or whether mm-hmm. it be a, a quality issue, whatever the case may be, those decisions and those reports are getting pushed down lower in the organization simply to facilitate the speed and the strategy that needs to be in place to satisfy the market. Thank you, Todd. Anybody else have a comment on the speed issue? Because I want to move to sustainability, and I'm going to ask Todd to start that off. But Richard um, or Bonnie, Simon, anything? You know, yeah, yeah, Simon here. Just, just, a, just a, just a quick comment. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think that um, one of the things that, that that you know I've been trying to get manufacturers to think about is that there's value to speed, right? That there's cost inherent in slowness, and and. Uh, you know, I, I published some, some supply chain predictions a couple of years ago, and one of them was that, you know, manufacturers would finally realize that very long lead times have an inherent cost to them, uh, and that they would factor that in when, as, as Todd was alluding to before, when they think about global sourcing. And, and uh, you know, nearshoring is all the rage now, but, you know, some years ago when it wasn't all the rage, you know, we were talking about this and saying, you know, hang on a second, think about cost in a broader sense. And you know what? Speed has value. And, 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 and when, you're, when you're slow, that has underlying cost. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think many manufacturers now get that, which is, which is a good thing. Thank you, Simon. I want to move us in a different direction. We've got about nine minutes until our break at 47 after, so just giving you a time set here. Todd Smith, I'd like to talk about sustainability, the S word. I don't think it's a four-letter word. I think it's turning into a good word. And you're looking back historically. You sent me the following comment. Historically, many companies looked at sustainability in quotes and going green in quotes as something they, and here's the big quote, should do. Yes, big, big brother, big sister mommy and daddy was saying you should do that now you added today more and more companies are leveraging sustainability for a competitive advantage everything from cost reductions improvements customer satisfaction gaining market share so it's in fashion talk to me about sustainability todd and then we'll ask richard and simon to jump in as well go ahead todd well and i think you know those quotes i think kind of you know to me resonate if you back up um you know, even five, ten years ago, there was a lot of push for manufacturers to try to move towards sustainability. And a lot of companies felt that what that meant was, you know, implementing a recycling program or mm-hmm. offering employees a, a discount for carpooling. Um, starting, it started the push of letting a few employees starting to work remote. And that's how companies felt, you know, they were going green. Um, obviously, in the last five years, there's been a lot more push around this and it's become a lot more prevalent. And companies are finding that they can actually set up a sustainable supply chain that actually helps them reduce costs. Um, you know, whether that be from a CO admissions per- perspective and trying to reduce the number of touches, the number of trucks that I use in the supply chain, which goes back to the speed, the latency, the cost issues, but also mm-hmm. just the sustainability environmental impacts of using less ground transportation 
working with um, transportation providers that are using natural gas vehicles instead of diesel-powered vehicles. There's a lot of push now to start looking at those, and regardless of the market, we're seeing a lot of our clients starting to leverage the ability to implement sustainable solutions to not only reduce costs, but then they're also using that to go to the market because the market's demanding that and expecting that, to be able to say to their customers, look at the internal initiatives that we're working on that help Mm -hmm. the environment, the economy, um, the world, natural resources, all of those things. Those things are just going to continue, to, I think, to build in the marketplace. So you're saying sustainability is smart. And I'll add one more thing, Todd. We are seeing also the demand by millennials. Uh, Millennials coming into the workforce, many of them are looking for the quality of sustainability the company espouses. What what do they practice? Are they practicing what they preach? Is it just a fashionable word, or is it a company that cares about the environment, about the social world, et cetera? You agree with that, that it's a good thing for attracting new talent, yes? Um, absolutely, and, and I don't think it's just new talent. I think obviously the millennials really pushed on that, but I think there's mm-hmm. obviously that, that feeds into the other generations too. But obviously right now that's what's driving a lot of the market, and I think a lot of companies are seeing a lot of benefit by starting to shift you know, into more sustainable supply chains. And whether that be anything from a, you know, I'll say a food manufacturer who's looking at sustainable harvesting, sustainable growth, um, you know, putting manufacturing facilities closer to where their farmers are, um, a lot of different things going on in that space. Okay. Simon Ellis, what are your thoughts about the S-word, sustainability? Yeah. Smart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, look, I mean, I, I have I have, uh, I have, have no reason to doubt what Todd says. I think it's absolutely the case. Um you know, it was interesting, you know, five, six years ago, well, maybe not quite, yeah, I guess five, six years ago, when we were, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, facing the great, uh, the great recession, you know, we saw a lot of sustainability projects kind of recast as cost reduction ones, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think my, I think my perspective on this is, is, I mean, if not, it, it, it's not unique, I guess, but it's certainly maybe a little different because, you know, I grew up in my career, talking about sustainability is a very different thing. It wasn't, um, the companies I've worked for were all very uh, concerned about the environment. They were all, you know, all felt that it was important for them to be stewards of the environment and, and protect the environment where they could, water consumption, energy consumption, all those kinds of things. Um, but sustainability wasn't that or wasn't just that. It was principally about how do I ensure that I behave in a way such that the ingredients that I need for my products are always going to be available, right? That they're mm. sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. So if it's about, uh, and Richard and I were talking about this just last week, right? if, if, it's, if it's about, you know, if I need 100 metric tons of diced tomatoes every year for my spaghetti sauce business, you know, I want to behave in such a way that that, 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 that supply is sustainable. Um, and so for me, that's what sustainability means. Uh, and I must confess, I, I guess I'm stuck in the, I guess I'm stuck in the in the late 90s, <laughs> because when people say sustainability, that's where I always go first, and then I have to kind of switch my thinking because I think increasingly, sustainability has become this this sort of view of 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 being that kind of environmental steward and and being efficient about consuming resources, which is critically important. But again, to me, it, it's not really what I think of when I think of sustainability. So I'm I'm probably an an oddity in that regard. Interesting. Richard Howells, sustainability, what do you think? I'm all for it. Well, that's good to know. Join the party. But um, it's obviously, what, we're, what I'm seeing is that the, be, the best business practices are often sustainable. 
practices as well and green practices and that's the way that people and companies that I'm working with are looking at this at the moment is what's best for the company and the environment and they usually are come hand in hand I mean being able to to uh, restrict restrict trade with certain countries and with certain suppliers having alternate sourcing uh, processes in place if there's an issue with with suppliers or, or with the supply chain being able to track and trace products and products genealogy uh, in the case of product recall, are all mm-hmm. good best practices, and they also help you become more sustainable as a company. Richard, I want you to take us into one more topic area before we go to break. We've got about three minutes till break maximum, so I'm going to keep it short for each of you. Volatile markets, you say this is one of the two major trends that are here to stay. One is volatile markets, the other is growing logistics complexity. When you say volatile markets, you're talking about the market that's receiving the goods the manufacturer is producing or volatile markets in terms of raw materials and resources and and uh, talent supply. So what kind of volatile markets are you talking about? When I'm talking about volatile markets, I'm really talking, in my definition, around the volatile demand. We already talked about the millennial generation being a big driving mm-hmm. factor, uh, which means that their changes, changes with like a whim. If you, if you see a bad uh, report on Twitter about a product, it'll go mm-hmm. viral. If you see a good report, it won't go viral. <laughs> so bad news travels fast in a, in a social uh, environment. I'm also talking about the volatile markets in the shifting markets. Uh, for example, the emerging middle classes in, in, or the growing middle classes in the emerging markets. It's estimated there's going to be 5 billion people in, additional people in those markets over the next five years. And that will adjust and, and increase the, vol- the volatility of, of, of both demand and supply moving forward. Thank you, Richard. You know what? I'm going to give you all a break. You've been working very, very hard. It's been a 30-minute marathon roundtable, covered a lot of topics here. I'm speaking today with Simon Ellis at IDC, Todd R. Smith at PwC, and Richard Howells at SAP. Hey, all of the companies have just three letters in their names. That's so cool. So (laughs) I want to take a break. We're going to come back with the crystal ball round. I'm going to ask Simon and Richard and Todd in the original order, Simon, Todd, and Richard, what do you see five? years ahead. If we met again, and I certainly hope we do five years from today, what would we be talking about in terms of how has the supply chain evolved, speed being the new cost? We'll be talking about five years from today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers presented by SAP. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network business models have a short shelf life today's reality given shifting technologies real-time information and collaboration across time zones competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud the bottom line Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Before we get back to the business of the day, which is our crystal ball round of predictions, I have to do a shout-out to Carol J. Zielinski at PwC. And she sent me the following note. She said she's with uh, with our tea drinkers on the show. She's a tea toddler. And Carol says she loves green tea with jasmine. It's heavenly. She didn't put that breathlessness into her message, but I know she meant heavenly. So let's go look into the heavenly skies and look forward five years from today. Let's kick off this round with Simon Ellis at IDC. Simon, if we met again in five years today, supply chain evolution, will it have evolved? Two minutes, go. Yeah, I, I, so um, uh, there was a couple of observations. I think think Todd made them uh, earlier, which I thought were were good ones because, because I've certainly been in agreement uh, with with his view. I mean, um, there are four P's to marketing, right? Uh, I won't remember the four, but product, uh, place, price, promotion. Uh, I've certainly argued that there there's a fifth one, which is personalization. And so, mm-hmm. this notion of how as a mass market, as how a, how a mass producer manufacturer converts their business into one that is more personalized and 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 more and more customer-centric, because, because I think that's pretty clearly where we're headed. Um, and so if I, was, if I was looking five years ahead, I would expect to see a real transformation of the mass market supply chain to be uh, more serving of personalized and, and customized products. Um, you know, there was an announcement some weeks ago that P&G is partnering with Amazon to look at uh, direct-to-consumer fulfillment. And, you know, wh- whether that's the model or whether it's moving from five or six, you know, two million square foot uh, uh, regional warehouses to 50, uh, you know, sort of 50,000 square foot uh, micro DCs, you know, who knows? I-, I mean, as a supply chain guy, I tend to think that that's simply a better way to have the wrong products in the wrong place. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the reality is that, that, that we're headed to a supply chain where um, short order lead times, day of delivery, one day certainly, um, customizable, personalizable products, uh, your initials, your name, your own flavor, your own, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. I think that's the future for, for, for the manufacturing supply chains. And so uh, in five years, they will be on their way to that. And they will have worked out, I think, how to, um, whether it's something they do themselves or whether it's, it's working with logistics providers or, um, you know, I tend to view Amazon more as a logistics company than I do an e-tailer. Um, you know, don't know how they view themselves, but that's how I tend to view them. Um, so, you know, what the mechanism might be, you know, time will tell, but that's what I would tend to think uh, we would see, this kind of increasing increasing movement towards the consumer, towards personalization, and a, and a supply chain infrastructure, both, virtu- both in terms of IT and in terms of physical assets that supports that. Thank you, Simon. Let's turn to Todd R. Smith at PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Todd, what do you see five years from today? I think supply chain and just overall uh, the market's just going to continue to evolve and speed is going to continue to just be the hot button. It's the accelerator that everybody's got their foot on right now. That's driven heavily by the millennials, and I think that's going to drive some huge transformations in 
supply chain strategy and overall business strategy of how, when, and where a company set themselves up to go to market. I think when you start thinking about the shifts in strategy, um, you know, going back to kind of my opening quote and just capping off on what Simon said, the move from, you know, potentially 50 regional distribution centers to 200 micro distribution centers, big shift in strategy there, adds a layer of complexity um, because I've got that much more planning. But I also think the need for speed is going to come about with solutions where MRP is going to not be run every two weeks or every week, but you're going to see acceleration MRP runs to daily runs on MRP so that I can adjust my demand and, and react to those market conditions and be able to see customer sentiment and what's going on and be able to adjust real time to what's happening in the market. I think the companies that can do that and can figure out a way to integrate their supply chain, their providers, uh, connecting up with the third-party logistics folks, with their fate providers, uh, and even potentially with their offshore manufacturing organizations, those are going to be the companies that are going to start emerging as the leaders. Um, some of the bigger companies that uh, may be a little slower to adapt, I think you're going to see them starting to fall behind. Okay, and question for you. Will this part of the business of manufacturing supply chain, will it be attracting millennials in, in the workforce saying, hey, I want to be part of the shift. I want to be part of this efficiency and this integration and this understanding of personalized requirements and the demands of the social voices out there. Will millennials say this is an area I want to work in? What do you think, Todd? Will it be sexy enough for millennials? Um, I actually think it is going to be because I think supply chain, instead of being, you know, the warehouses and everything else, is going to become very data-centric. It's going to be looking at a lot of integration, a lot of different touch points, what that may mean to, you know, sustainability going green, and that's becoming part of the conversation and part of the equation as far as what's my supply chain strategy and what's my best place to put my locations, my offices, my DCs, my micro-distribution centers, that allows me that time to market, reduces my cost, and has benefit um, because it reduces my overall carbon footprint and what's happening from mm-hmm. my overall sustainability uh, as far as my supply chain and my providers go. Thank you very much. And Richard Howells at SAP, what do you see coming down the pike five years? Richard, go ahead. Okay, I, I think there will be lots of disruptive technologies. I mean, Simon talked about personalization, and I see things like 3D printing changing the design of the supply chain to the future. Uh, we're all already seeing companies at recent shows talk about this, uh, about 3D printers in restaurants printing pasta, or Hershey's announcing a partnership to print chocolate. And last week I saw something about Oreo cookies in a vending machine where you can customize, customize an Oreo cookie. No. Uh, I also see machine-to-machine technology um, really taking off and eliminating a lot of, or automating a lot of the manual processes today. Why do I need to have somebody enter an order when I can automatically have a sensor that can tell me I've fallen below a safety stock level to trigger, a, to trigger a replenishment order? So that should speed up the supply network when we talk about speed. And the final thing that I would add is the Internet of Things. I know it's a buzzword at the moment, but that, that connectivity is really going to drive the volume of data available. And as Simon pointed out, the challenge is going to be how to weed out the 5% of good data from the 90%, 95% of noise that you may be hearing uh, because you're, 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 you're getting all the information from everywhere, from connected machines and, and, and the like. So I really think that uh, ultimately the clock speed will get faster and faster. We, have the, we will have the tools in place to drive that information, provide that information, and uh, we really will see a squeeze cycle to tie into what Todd said, the squeeze cycle between planning and execution. 
where things are going to be happening on a daily or sub-daily basis. Thank you, Richard. You said one word that piqued my interest. No surprise here. Chocolate. I've just looked it up while you were talking. Money.cnn.com headline on January 16, 2014. I quote, Hershey's to make 3D chocolate printer. And underneath the picture, it says 3D Systems, that's a company, will partner with Hershey's to make a machine that prints chocolate. Be still my heart. Thank you, Richard, for that. That's got It was my favorite movie growing up, and it's coming to reality. <laughs> Oh, honey, Hershey's has a Hershey's cocoa and sweetened has a constant presence in my refrigerator. And I, I just picked up a coffee table book by the Mast Brothers on the family history and the family recipes. Whoever they are, they use chocolate in rubs for pork and on chicken and in cakes and cookies. It's about a five pound book. I picked it up for 15 bucks on a sale table at TJ Maxx and it's my new reading material. What can I tell you? I have to give my predictions before we run out of time. Tomorrow is Wednesday. That means it's Time for Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. Thursday, we have a double header. Future of Business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. Yes, it's worth getting up early for. 4 p.m. Startup Focus with Game Changers at 1 p.m. Pacific. And Monday, we're back with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We subtitle that CFO Radio, all kinds of good financial transformation information, 10 a.m. Pacific. And in this time slot right here, next Tuesday, we're coming back with an old series, HR Trends with Game Game Changers returns, so we're going to say bye-bye to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. We've had a great 13-week run, and our opening show on HR Trends will feature three millennials, early talent from SAP. We'll have one from South Africa, one from Belgium, and one from the U.S. What a rousing conversation I expect to have with them. Find out what's new on their minds in terms of entering the workforce. Special thank you to my great panelists, Simon Ellis at IDC. Pleasure to meet you and speak with you. Todd R. Smith, PwC, glad we got you on the panel. Hooray, and thank you to Carol for helping introduce you to us. And Richard Howells from SAP, a pleasure as well. Shout out to Susan Walker, who sponsored this 13-week series. Susan, we appreciate it. And Tom Flanagan, you rock. He's been co-producer and doing a great job. Thank you also to Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for the final edition of BizBuzz. We'll be back next week with HR Trends. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.